welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, and joining us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Jason. Glad to have you here, Christian. Thank you. And today we're also joined by Nathan Rule. Hey, good to see everybody. So nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Yeah, so um, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about a movie called Citizen Sleuth, which Nathan worked on. So I'm going to give us a quick rundown of Citizen Sleuth and then jump into Nathan's bio. So Citizen Sleuth follows a true crime-obsessed podcaster from Appalachia who investigates a mysterious local death in a quest for truth. It is a daring and dark exploration of the saturated genre and the real-life consequences of those who pursue it. Nathan's integral work as a sound designer gave the piece an emotional intimacy that aligns with the intimate and personal nature of understanding true crime. And Nathan, uh, you've worked on just so many, I was looking at your IMDb and it was just like a literally over a hundred credits. So <laughs> absolutely thrilled to have you here. Um, oh, some of the credits include, I love my dad with Patton Oswalt, uh, Pakistan's Oscar submission, Joyland and searching, uh, the mixed media thriller, which that was a, mm -hmm. a really fascinating film. I kind of want to hear a little bit about that. If we, if we get yeah. time, uh, to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much. We're all set to go. Christian, do you want to hop in and ask some of your questions? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, Nathan, Jason and I both watched this film. Uh, this film just premiered at Sundance, and you guys are you know, in the thick of your festival season. We are so honored to be able to watch this before it comes out. And it was a phenomenal documentary. Very well done. I enjoyed the story uh, immensely. It was surprising. And, you know, lots of little twists and turns. And I will have to say the sound design was pretty stellar. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it has. <laughs> like, it's a very special kind of movie in terms of sound design. It has some like unique things happening that that, you know, not only just setting the scene and getting us into the place, but really helping to kind of tell the story because it's this, you know, to, to not give too much away, it's it. You know, it's the the crux of the story is about a filmmaker or a, a excuse me a podcaster who you know essentially uh, kind of becomes an amateur crime investigator and uh, with very little training but a lot of passion and uh, interest and um, but over the course of investigating this uh, kind of mysterious death of this uh, high school girl in. Uh, in our, our college girl in her small town, she um, she over time comes to question uh, whether it was actually a crime or not, and so it uh, so you know it's the kind of of storytelling where at the center of the story is a kind of mystery, and because there's this mystery at the center of the story, you know you're you're it gov gives you some creative license as well to be able to kind of you know. We're doing some storytelling, even though we are sort of, you know, in a documentary context and we're in a space of kind of investigation. But, you know, all the facts aren't known. And, and you know, one of the key ideas in the movie is that everybody has their own theories and there's some very mysterious um circumstances and evidence that around this, this death. And so it leads you to kind of uh, 
let your imagination start to run wild, which is what is happening with many of the people in the movie. And so, you know, one of the cool things about sound is that it is kind of this, uh, unlike visuals, it's like it, it, we can go and we can start to kind of create feelings and create, uh, and, and create ideas against the image that, you know, are more fluid and maybe evoke certain ideas or certain kinds of, you know, things that might be kind of in the mystery that we're not sure of. And so that's one of the things when we started talking about the sound design of the film is how can we use sound to, you know, one, kind of lean into the mystery, but also to kind of make it experiential so that you're, you know, because a lot of it is, of the movie is about imagining what happened with this crime. And so in some cases, there's no way for us to see. And in this particular film, there weren't reenactments. They didn't choose to do that. So often we were trying to kind of, you know, use sound as a way to uh, bring an audience into the sort of experience of what might have happened within this crime. Um, and also it's just, it, it, because this crime in the film took place, it's a motor related crime and it's kind of on this harrowing roadside where cars are always blasting past. And so that was one of the things we wanted to kind of bring the audience into this kind of feeling of like, wow, it, this is a, this is a scary place to be. And so that was a, you know, from the very beginning, that was a big part of the, of the process. Yeah, what you just said touched on a lot of the questions that I, you know, came up with as I was watching this film because I did notice some of those challenges. And interestingly enough, in my own filmmaking journey, when I was doing The Girl Who Wore Freedom and I was working with a composer for the very first time, I didn't really understand how to communicate with him or talk to him in the beginning. And finally, we got to a place where he's like, I just need you to tell me what do you want people to feel as they're watching this movie? And that was an eye-opening thing for me that I needed to talk to you know, a composer and even the sound department um, in the way of feelings, because it does, you don't realize it when you're watching a movie, but the sound and the music really, they're like the water that moves you along in this, yeah. you know, river of story. So um, let me, let me back up a little bit and let's yeah. talk about how you, you got involved. There are two questions and you can weave these together how you want, mm -hmm. how you got involved in the picture to begin with. And I'd love for you to describe a little bit about, you know, your role. What is, what is a sound designer's role versus other sound department roles, you know, in a film? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I came onto this film uh, through a relationship I have with uh, Kimberly Hassett. Kimberly Hassett's uh, editor of documentary films has done some really incredible work as an editor and is also a producer of documentary films. Uh, we This was the third project that Kimberly was involved in that I was the sound designer and the mixer on. Um, the first one we did was a, uh, a year and a half ago or so. Another film that came out at South by Southwest um, called Crows Are White that actually hasn't, isn't available yet, but should be out soon. It's a really interesting doc when, when it comes around. And then we also actually, in the last uh, three or four months, we actually did another feature film together for A24 that I can't really talk about right now, but it is a also a documentary feature film. It's really interesting, but kind of that's uh, awesome. slightly controversial subject matter. And so that's kind of 
that's in, that's all I can say about it. But I hope it, it's, you guys can see that soon. It's it's a pretty cool. Yeah, concert. I can't wait for that. What you just yeah, said so. reminded me that I said it opened at Sundance and it opened at South by Southwest. So maybe somebody can do a little ADR at the beginning and make yeah. sure that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. I don't no overstate problem, things. No problem. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, my no. yeah. So you tell so, us how so. you got involved. Yeah, yeah. So that's was through Kimberly. And then um so she introduced me to Chris Chris Kasich, the director. Um and you know, Chris is a really great uh he he has a really great background in documentary. Chris worked with Errol Morris for many, many years as right, the composer I read that. of the film. So they have a very long track record working with Errol Morris. And so, you know, obviously his influence is in the film. Uh, as well is his influences in the music of the film in some ways. So, um, yeah, so Chris is a, a very seasoned uh, documentary filmmaking professional. Um, and so, yeah, and so I met with Chris. I pitched him some of the ideas I had for the movie, and he was excited. But, you know, interestingly, uh, we, you know, we talked about working on, they, you know, obviously festivals are so important for a movie like this. They had submitted to Sundance. They didn't get in. Um, and then we were kind of waiting and then we got a call and said, Oh, South by Southwest. We had to kind of jump in pretty quickly and, you know, knock out the post on the film in a few weeks before the premiere at South by Southwest. So, um, yeah. And so, you know, my role, I mean, we could talk a little bit generally, um, you know, I, I, the, the, the number one kind of way that I describe what I do is as a sound designer. Um, and there's a long story. I've actually been on other podcasts and written about if you, if you go to my website, uh, which I'm sure we'll tag at the end or in the notes, um, you can look, I, I've written some articles about this uh, idea that I'm going to talk briefly about. So if you want to dig into this more, um, I wrote an article for Filmmaker Magazine about this, but you know, I, I come from a kind of new school of, of, of designer, um, design educated sound professionals that, you know, and I did my MFA at Cal Arts and studied design formally. And so I approach this work that we do in, fi- in film as a sound designer very much from a design perspective. And, and, what that means is that while I'm also a re-recording mixer, I'm also a supervising sound editor. I'm also a, you know, very, very engaged in the te- technological and engineering side of the work, which is essential to what we do. That the way that I think about the work that I do and approach it and approach it with my team is as a sound designer. And so in my mind, that's an umbrella idea that really encompasses all the services and all of the facets of post-production sound that we do. Um, and, and, but, but really leans into the ideas and really thinking about, you know, rather than tackling something as an engineering, um, exercise, we're tackling it as a creative, uh, uh, as a, as a creative problem and as a creative kind of idea or idea driven, um, creative exercise. And so, um, and so that's, that kind of drives everything that I do. So, you know, it, when someone brings a film to my company, which is called This Is Sound Design, very intentionally, the idea is that, you know, we want to foreground, you know, very much like if I were to work on a narrative film and I wanted to, you know, I was the production designer. The question we would ask is, what does this movie look like? And that could have a lot of factors. It could be about, you know, 
It could be about what era the movie's set in. It could be about uh, what city it's in. It could be any number of kind of utilitarian questions. But at the end of the day, there's still a kind of overarching set of visual ideas that define what the production design is of a film. And that's why we call it production design. And so to me, the role that I take is very similar for the sound of the movie. And so what is the sound of the movie in the kind of macro sense of that question? And then we work through all the different facets of the process, starting with, you know, spotting the movie all the way through the last day when we're mixing. And so that's, you know, that's what every movie that I do. My number one role is as the sound designer. Now within that, we do deal with the industry has very specific, you know, terms or ways that they talk about the kind of parts of the process. And so, you know, within that nomenclature, I'm a re-recording mixer, which is a little bit of a throwback term in and of itself, because that goes back to tape and re-recording to tape. But that is what we are called when we sit in a mix stage and mix a film. And I'm also a, a sound editor and a supervising sound editor. I do work with a team and that executes the different part of sound editorial, ADR, Foley, um, you know, dialogue editing, effects editing, all of those things. So, and that was what my role was on this film as well, along with my team that I've worked with here at my facility in Burbank. Yeah, that's beautiful explanation of a sound designer's role. And I was even going to compare it to the production designer. And you did that already. They are beautiful uh, parallel departments that, you know, forced this film to come together, I think. If you had to uh, answer the question about what, does this sound, what does this movie sound like? Can you sum that up in a word or a phrase? Yeah. I mean, I think if it were a word, I'd say, I hope is that it sounds mysterious and that that was the, that was the guiding idea that we were working with. But I think there's a few within that. There is the, I think it's also about the, about a small town and what is a what is a small town sound like and all its different facets i think that was another thing that's kind of speaking throughout the movie um in 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 different moments but yeah i mean those are the two parts of the film right we're trying to bring the audience into a very specific place uh, that has a very specific feeling. I'm lucky enough. I grew up in the Midwest. I, in a very small town, I really knew it personally. So I could kind of leverage that. Um, but then also, yeah, there's the mystery at the heart of this movie and how do we create something that is sort of experiential and that sort of makes the audience feel like they kind of get pushed and, you know, descend into a mystery. There are two areas that jumped out to me that um, encapsulate this concept, I think, and I'd love for you to unpack it a little bit. But there was a scene with uh, the deceased girl's grandfather on a highway where it was at night, busy cars passing by. And I think on one hand, you want the people to be able to intimately hear what the conversation is. So you want them to clearly hear and that dialogue. But at the same time, you want them to be aware of the road and the environment they were in. And that is a, you know, push pull kind of thing. Uh, the other one I thought about was in the uh, 18 wheeler, the guy that was an eyewitness that, you know, ran across a certain pair of jeans. There was a mysterious element just in the 
you know, 18 wheeler itself and in the moment. And I, and it was almost like a cell phone call because I think he was on the phone with someone. And so there, those two incidents is right there feel like there had to be an overarching conversation about how you deal with those elements. Am I right about that or wrong? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, that, that, those roadside conversations and that one was probably the most challenging and it's, it's, um, because, because on part, and this is so often the case, and it's not just in documentary; it's in narrative films as well. We're often, you know, we're we're basically we're in a an environment that creates certain sonic uh, potentials, but also problems. And so we're basically, first of all, trying to make sure that we can understand and hear what the people are saying. So we're basically working very hard to remove everything about the environment that is, is, uh, you know, problematic, uh, in terms of hearing, but then we're bringing it back, right? We're adding the sound back into the, uh, into the moment. And that's what we were doing in that sequence where, you know, there's cars whizzing past. So what we're doing is we're cleaning the dialogue as best we can so that we could hear it. And, you know, that's a great example of a moment that, you know, this is the technology for cleaning sound and, and, you know, uh, and mixing sound has just, it is getting every year, every year it's getting better and better and better. We just actually had a piece of software just be updated that was already fantastic. And they're like, Oh, it's a big step forward for this plugin that we use. We're like, how could it even become any better than it already is? But there's so many tools that like that sequence, even five years ago, we would have not been able to hear anything that the the, the girl's father was saying because there would have just been no way to clean that audio. And now it's it's not perfect, but we can definitely understand. Maybe we're using subtitles a little bit to help, but we can understand. And so now we can kind of get to have this moment in this kind of interesting place and really hear the sort of emotion and sort of, you know, the, the hear, understand the character. So it's like, in one hand, it's like a total triumph that we're able to, able to salvage that sound. Um, but then of course, yeah, we want to bring the audience back into the world. And then, you know, hopefully if you're watching it in a theater, you get to experience it in five one. And so we can then also be immersive. We can kind of envelop the audience in the moment as well, as opposed to just being able to basically make it a very monophonic flat sound. So that's a great example. And yeah, the, the, in the, you know, oftentimes the, the, there's a lot of, a back and forth between picture editorial and sound trying to figure out how do we craft a moment? Um, how do we, and, and the, and you know, the, the being with the truck driver, who's this, like, in a way you spend so much of the movie where you're on the roadside with, with tr- big semi trucks whizzing past you. And then in a certain moment in the movie, you go inside a truck, you're in the kind of in the opposite position. So we definitely wanted to kind of bring the audience inside of there, but also in that particular instance, yeah, the sound was, it was from a recorded phone call. So we actually had to kind of, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an interesting thing where you're kind of both hearing the truck driver talking about the, what happened. And that's kind of in this mediated way. And then you're also kind of experiencing the truck. And so we're using sound effects editing to be able to make that feeling of being inside the truck. And it is interesting, you know, it's one of the cool things about, about filmmaking is that, you know, when you, 
when you have voices that come in through mediated technology, it creates different feelings. It creates different tensions. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think that one I really, I enjoy that this sort of feeling, it actually makes it feel a little bit more kind of mysterious. You know, these mediated voices coming through radios, coming through phones, they, they create a certain kind of feeling for us. And, you know, sometimes that's really interesting. I, you mentioned I did the movie Searching. Searching is all about, and I've done several movies in this genre of kind of, you know, using mediated technology, using the idea of like characters and computers, characters, um, you know, that are only seeing each other through a computer screen or through Skype. And so even within that, you create certain, it opens up certain potentials while it creates certain limitations. It opens up other potentials, you know, and that on some level, it almost functions like a music, right? Like we think of music as like, oh, here's, you know, here's these organized tonalities and they create certain feelings. But the truth is, when we when we mediate a voice or when we the industry turn is futs a voice which is like put it through a radio or put it through a pa speaker or you know we're actually we're we're giving it a kind of musicality a kind of frequency quality that actually activates our minds in interesting ways that we they wouldn't be activated otherwise so it is this kind of interesting both kind of feel and intellectual thing. It's like, well, I hear that it's through this device and I know what that is, but also the, 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 what kind of feelings I get by a voice kind of being distanced or being placed through this medium also creates a certain kind of feeling. And, you know, we use that all the time, even in documentary, it's a, it's a great tool um, to, you know, to be able to kind of bring a whole nother kind of sonic, quality to a film. Yeah, it anchors the film and the sound in our own experience that helps us relate to that. And I really noticed that in the phone calls. And I noticed it when she was quote unquote on the radio. And I did wonder if you could talk a little bit about technically, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine her sound on the podcast was as good as it was in the movie. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but she was also recording it there live. Uh, So talk to me about that. Well, I, I do know that, you know, the movie was made over a long period of time. And so Chris was on five years, five years. Yeah. It was a very long-term project. And Chris was on the ground with the subject of the film very often. Um, But yeah, there was definitely some creative license taken in terms of, I think in many cases she was recreating. So they were like essentially having her do what she does, which is that when she narrates her podcast, and it is a very like single person narrated kind of storytelling style podcast, very very much in the kind of Sarah Koenig uh, serial kind of vibe. Um, and so I do believe that there, in some cases they were having her, you know, re-record some of those, um, some of those episodes for segments within the film, but she was using her own apparatus for some of that. So we were using some of the recordings coming through her setup of how she would normally record her podcast. Um, but yeah, there's also definitely some intentional in the mixing. We're intentionally, you know, creating 
finding ways to create the feeling of like when we're listening to her, the podcaster, and when we are sort of just in the world with her. And that's intentionally done. And it's using free, it's using uh, filtering tools and using EQ, uh, using the way we use reverb. Um, you know, we normally use reverb in all the time, subtly, just to put voices in the scene. So then we can flatten them out when it's something like on a podcast. Techniques like that were definitely used. It, it, totally stuck out to me as like this podcast sound that like me as not really a sound person, I can't really describe it. Like I've worked in podcasts for seven years and it's just like, it sounds different <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. you really captured that. And I was, I wanted to compliment you on just how as an avid listener of podcasts, it really nailed that feeling. I, you did a fantastic cool. job. Great, aping that great. sound. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason, you'd is... mentioned, a lot of it is the proximity effect. And I I worked in radio before I got into filmmaking. I worked for the show Marketplace. So I put in some of my time in public media and in radio. But yeah, it's that when you get the when you get the voice up close to the mic, you get that. It's a it's actually what's happening is is that the the when you get up close, the the way that the microphone does off-axis rejection gets a little bit defeated because what's happening is the voice is getting around the microphone in a way, and so the the it defeats the way that the microphone has directionality in a way, and it cre in in the low range, and so it creates that warmth that we all associate that with. You know, radio, it's a classic radio sound, and I think podcasters have definitely, you know, they're like in their bedroom you know, like getting up close to the mic, probably it's utilitarian, you know, cause it, but it does create that kind of like warmth. I mean, we have a, you know, we have like very specific, almost Pavlovian responses to these things. Cause we grew up, I mean, I grew up listening to Cardinals baseball. I grew up outside of St. Louis, you know, that announcer's voice on the microphone. It's just such a specific quality. And yeah, we definitely, even, you know, we probably accentuated that a little bit in the mix just to make sure that we had that feeling. Yeah. Great job. Jason, you said you had another question. We were talking earlier. Have we covered it yet? Yeah. Um, well, so you kind of covered it with the, the truck, um, conversation, but I was, I was wondering about, there are moments in this movie where it feels like we travel from like three different locations, but we have one continuous thread of thought or dialogue being given at the same time, but it's clearly delivered at different locations. And so I was curious, what are your techniques for like making that a consistent thread of dialogue when, you know, she's recording in front of her house and then she's inside and then she, yeah. you know, but the sound doesn't noticeably change of her voice as of you. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, it's, I mean, this is sort of the wizardry of mixing in general. And, you know, because we're, you know, very often doing this in all films, you know, like even when you're changing angles in a film, sometimes you have a different acoustic quality within the space or, you know, suddenly outside it starts to rain. And so you, you know, there's lots of scenarios in mixing where you're constantly doing this kind of like finding ways to make things that maybe have a little bit of a different sonic character fit together. And it's, you know, it's, it's case by case. Um, it involves um, a, a, a lot of noise reduction te techniques, and we use a, we have a whole host of different noise reduction tools. We have 
We have cedar noise reduction, which is kind of the very expensive kind of and and still incredibly effective noise gating technology. We have Acon, which is a kind of up and coming whole suite of noise reduction tools we use. We have uh, what's now become very ubiquitous, which is Isotope RX. Um, and we have the RX Advance and RX Advance does, you know, all kinds of spec. We can go in and look at a spectrogram and clean out parts of the um, frequency spectrum. And, you know, as a mixer, I'm in RX all day long, you know, jumping in and out and tweaking little things and adjusting little things. So we're, so, you know, that noise reduction part of the process, what we actually call our premix, where before we come in and mix a movie, there's a whole dedicated, uh, um, you know, within our schedule just to go in and do this cleanup. And so that's always the first, the first way that we're, we're going in and, you know, very often that takes care of a big part of the issue, but then, you know, the next step can be, there's incredible tools for de-reverberization, de-reverbs. Uh, Isotope makes one, Acon makes one, where you can go in and essentially reduce the reverb in a recording. So let's say she's outside in one part of the the conversation and then it's inside for part of it. We can go in and actually remove the slap of the room from the recording. And, you know, it's very easy to overdo that, but in a subtle way, you can remove some of that. And most of the time these days, between those tools and noise gating, you can actually completely remove the environmental issues. So that's step number one. And then, you know, equalization comes into play. So uh, there's all kinds of great equalization tools that we have access to. There's certainly just the normal EQs, but, uh, and, you know, a lot of it is experience and by ear. Um, you know, I just, as I'm mixing a movie, you know, I have a, the console in front of me and I'm just, you know, I'm making adjustments and writing automation and, you know, it's very second nature at this point. I don't really have to even think that much of about it to be able to match things, but, you know, sometimes even if that doesn't work, we actually have EQ matching tools. So we can actually go into RX and say, okay, here's this dialogue in this part of, uh, you know, in this, in this space. And then we can like analyze it. It'll tell, tell us what the equalization and quality is of that. And then we can actually apply it to the dialogue in the other space. And that's, you know, incredible what it can do. We use that for ADR matching as well. Uh, and then there's some other tools. There's another tool called, it's a reverb matching tool called Chameleon that we use. So let's say we can't, the, the interior sound has a little too much room in it. We can actually do the same thing. We can analyze and then apply the reverb characteristics that are on the, the sound to the more dry sound. So all of these tools come into play in this kind of a, a scenario. And then actually we also may just add reverb, you know, to we we're always when we when we mix a movie we're programming reverb across every scene in the movie even a documentary so we do have a reverb fader and it's a convolution reverb so it'll be like a kitchen if we're in a kitchen or a bedroom or a if we're outside it's like an outdoor quality reverb and so that's always subtly in the mix as well and that's it doing its own thing to kind of glue the sounds together um even within different angles or different it could be, you know, there's definitely a lot in this movie where it's like 
three different exterior interviews, but they were actually at different times and the microphone placements are a little bit different and some of them are a little higher quality than others. So, you know, so that's in a situation like that, by finding a great reverb that kind of reproduces the kind of slap of the environment a little bit, very subtly and putting that across all three, that actually helps kind of glue it all together. So, you know, all of those things are coming into play in order to, you know, be able to do this. And, you know, it, in any given situation, we might need one of those tools, we might need all of those tools, it just kind of depends. And, you know, a lot of it as a mixer is, you know, is developing those instincts, you know, because I'm doing this almost every day of my life and now have for almost 15 years. So many of these tools become second nature. You know, I, I will say a lot of times, um, filmmakers just will come, will, you know, sit here in the stage. I'm here in the mix stage and, you know, they sit in the couch behind me. I'm sitting here at the console often. And a lot of filmmakers just say, Oh, I really just love sitting back here and watching you work because I can see it's just cool to watch how you can do so many things and make so many things like the kind of thing you're describing of this kind of matching. And I'll say also, it's very satisfying because, you know, it's only in the last, five, six, seven years where I've reached that point in my career and I just have enough hours uh, that I've put in as a mixer that almost everything we can solve in some way or another. And it's very satisfying to be able to do that. And a lot of that is also because the tools are so powerful. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's not even the same process between what it was a decade ago and now because essentially none of the tools existed yet that now are our everyday tools that are able to do this hey everybody uh this episode went a little long so we decided to cut it in half um be sure to come back next week where we continue this conversation we talk more about ai specific tools that are used how they're used and we dive into just a bunch of really interesting topics about sound and how it tells the story so be sure to come back next week thanks for listening to documentary first where we believe Everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.